Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today's Thursday, September 16th. This is episode number 116. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are things going? Going good, Rod. How are things down there? Yeah, pretty good. I actually got outside today and it was a little cool for a change. <laughs> you never know what yeah, you're going to get in Ohio. Yeah. Today. <laughs> well, it was like in the 60s, I think, when we took our walk this morning. So, yeah. Nice. Um, join- <laughs> joining us today is Stephen Thomas. Stephen, how are things going? Life is a cabaret, my friends. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, people can find you at Brown's Mock Draft on Twitter. Uh, they find your work at the OBR. And at twenty two four seven sports, or is that twenty four seven sports? However you want to say that. And at CBS Sports, um, you're a busy man. Along with, uh, <laughs> are you are you back to uh, performing um, your uh, comedy yet, or not? Not yet. Uh, coming up uh, fairly soon. Everything you know, obviously, with everything going on, they're ramping up slowly in different places and. Uh, I've got some immunocompromised stuff in my house, so I'm being extra, extra careful um, about where I go and what I, you know, potentially bring back. So uh, it, it'll happen. I'll get back out there at some point. But right now, this uh, this football team is keeping me pretty busy and keeping me pretty happy. So it's uh, it's been good. Yeah, you know, I was looking at your Twitter profile and I didn't see this before that you are a mensen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So, okay. So Jeff, you know what we're up against here, or who we so, have with us? So. Our boy, our boy is wicked smart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> bringing I, it. yeah. Like we often say, it uh, uh, we make the same mistakes everybody else does. We just make them faster. That's all. That's all that is. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I just wanted. To, I just want to throw it out there because I, you know, I don't always read everybody's stuff, but before. Uh, you know, before the podcast, I looked and I was writing down, you know, all your credits and everything. And I happened to see that. So pretty cool. Good for yeah. you. Definitely. Um, so anyways, a, a couple of us are uh, drinking some beers and we're going to talk about these before we launch into the Browns and the football talk and a couple of other things. So, uh, Stephen, you're the guest. I'm going to let you go first and tell us about the, uh, the bottle you have in front of you or the can or whatever you might have there. Yeah, nothing too exciting. I bought the um, Sam Adams put out their uh, what do they call it? Their fall collection, or you know, it was like a variety pack. There was a pumpkin ale in it, and there was a I don't know something they called winter ale. I don't know. There's four different flavors in it, uh, and I have one left uh, from that. It's just your basic uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager. I'm not normally a huge beer drink. I don't dislike beer, but it's it just you know, it's not. I'm more of a wine guy or a rum guy. Uh, but for certain times of the year, like first week of the NFL, I got to have beer. You know, the NFL draft rolls around. I got to have beer. Super Bowl is a beer event. You know what I mean? So this is the last one of that group. So I grabbed just uh, just your basic Sam Adams Boston Lager to be with you guys here tonight. Excellent. Appreciate that. Jeff is more of a wine guy. He is uh, he is passing tonight. But uh, I am drinking a beer and. I have been talking about the fact that I'm going through my refrigerator and trying to empty it out a little bit. So I found a beer I didn't know I had tucked in the back and because I've been talking on Twitter with some people about um, the different pumpkin beers. 
and I found a Blue Moon Harvest pumpkin weeds. And man, I hope they still make this. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably around from last from last year. So you see why I'm trying to empty the fridge out because I don't want beer in there that's that's just plain too old to drink. So so I'm working on it, but uh, I got my work cut out for me. Um, it's kind of a, just a little side project I got going. So. Um, it's not bad though. It doesn't taste we like it's need goals anything wrong with it yet. That's right. My, yeah. my side project is hanging pictures in my studio. So your your side project sounds like more fun drinking beer. <laughs> yeah, I, I've still got quite a bit left out there. So yeah, it's kind of an ongoing thing. So <laughs> so anyways, let, let's move on here, guys. Uh, something that we like to do is uh, when we have a guest on is kind of hear their Brown's journey. And Stephen, you are in, you live in LA. So, correct. I, I don't know if you've been there your whole life or whatnot, but I kind of just wanted to hear just, just a little bit about um, your Browns fandom and kind of, you know, the history of that and maybe, maybe how that's happened and just some things about, uh, you know, why you're a fan or, you know, um, you know, some high points or, or, uh, you know, maybe, um, favorite players, things like that. And anything you want to throw out there about you, you and your Browns fandom? Yeah, no, I'm actually uh, central Ohio born and bred, um, born and raised in Columbus, lived there the first, well, most of the first 30 years of my life, went to college at the university of Dayton. So for those, um, those years I was, uh, I was still in central Ohio, but you know, not in Columbus, but uh, moved out, moved to Chicago uh, when I was uh, just shy of 30 years old, that was a, uh, um, I was about four years into my stand-up career at that point, and central, uh, Chicago being a centrally located place as far as club work, um, I moved there, and I met my wife there, and uh, then we moved out here uh, for uh, industry reasons um, in 2004, and I've been out here ever since. But uh, no, I'm, I'm a Browns fan because my dad was a Browns fan, like most people. You know, when you're when your dad's a fan, that's what you root for when you're a little boy, and then it gets, uh, you know, it gets pounded into you. And um, uh, you know, I, I'm old enough. My first real, I mean, I have some memories before it, but my first season that I really truly like have vivid memories of was the Cardiac Kids. And so, you know, uh, anybody old enough to remember the electricity and the, you know, just how beloved that team was. Um, understands that you know when something like that imprints on you that's your team you know no matter what that's your team from now on and then you know the next decade was the bernie years and and so i was probably you know um mid-20s before i realized that you know a team that went to the playoffs most of the time was on uh, was not the normal situation so <laughs> um they uh i mean even you know when belichick came even after the bernie group crumbled uh they were back in the playoffs in 95 we all expected that you know and then uh when they came back they made the playoffs in their third year made the playoffs in 02 blew a lead at the end and had our hearts ripped out so really it felt like okay we're back to normal this is how, how this is how it works in cleveland we get to the playoffs and lose a game that we should have won and then we all know what happened since then but um you know just always been uh if you if you grow up in Ohio, there's uh, there's two sports, football and spring football. And so, you know, it's uh, uh, always been in my blood. I'm, I'm a football guy. I grew up playing baseball, love baseball, but I can't I still love the game. Uh, cannot stand what MLB has done to that level of the sport. Uh, the sport and the game are two separate things. And uh, mm -hmm. so more into football in the last 
I don't know, 10 years, 15 years or anything like that. And, um, you know, started doing some writing on the internet for some small sites and things like that about six or eight years ago, just on the side. Cause like you said, my, this isn't what I do. I'm, I'm a, I'm a comic and an actor. That's, that's my, my profession. And so this has always been just sort of a side gig, something I did for fun in my spare time. And then about a year, just over a year ago, um, actually about a year and a half now, I guess it was last May, Barry approached me and uh, said, Hey, we want you to come on and do some draft stuff at, uh, at the OBR. And I said, sure, why not? And, uh, that that's where we are today. You know, I mean, I, I started writing for the OBR and the Browns made the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent my doing, uh, but, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to not say that either. So can't be a coincidence. <laughs> There's no what, way. I want to know what the hell took you so long. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy. I was busy. Yeah. So that, that's my story. Uh, unfortunately, uh, could not pass it along to my daughter. Uh, my wife and I only have one child, a daughter. She's uh, She was a volleyball player growing up. Um, my wife being from Chicago and a big hockey fan uh, was sort of, uh, that's the way that she went. Uh, you know, my, my daughter got a scholarship to play in college and she's since graduated and is now doing fantastic on her own. She lives in upstate New York. And uh, so I've got a lot more time to myself, uh, which is, uh, Sad in a lot of ways. If you're a parent, being an empty nester is a is a strange thing. It's super quiet uh, after having a kid in your house for that long. But at the same time, uh, having this much free time when the Browns are finally good is better than this happening like five years ago. If I had this much free time and during the one in 31 back to back years, I I, I probably would have uh, developed a serious drinking habit or maybe just moved straight to the Heisenberg Blue. I'm not sure. So it's probably fortuitous that it happened now when they're good. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, I'm a kind of a recent empty nester, and Jeff hopes to be one someday, right, Jeff? Jeez. Yeah, well, let me just tell you, <laughs> you go from being an empty nester from kids to, you know, now the, then the grandkids come around, and pretty soon, you know, your house is full again. So, you know, <laughs> it's a small window. He always has kids at his house, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, cool stuff, definitely. So, so guys, we're gonna go. We're gonna go all the way back to Sunday and just, uh, just you know, not certainly not gonna beat the Browns up, but uh, you know, Browns uh, played the Chiefs, a game that we had all been looking forward to since you know since back in January. You know, this uh, this rematch, first game of the season. You know, this great team that uh, great new roster that the Browns have put together. But I th- I think we all knew kind of what the Browns were facing. That this was a game on the road against a team that went to the Super Bowl. So. So I don't I don't think anybody thought the Browns were going to go in there and just whoop up on the Chiefs, you know, and, until we watched the first half, anyways. And and you know the first half, uh, the Browns are up up uh, twenty two to ten in this game, and then things happen in the second half with, with a bunch of errors um, on the Browns side. So it's really to me a tale of two halves. Browns, you know, win the first half twenty two ten, and and the. Uh, you know, and the Chiefs win the second half, 23-7. Um, you know, kind of, kind of what happened. Um, I guess just, uh, I guess we'll just give each of you guys a chance to to give some some takeaways, uh, just some thoughts on on the game. First of all, um, so I'll go to you first, Jeff, on this. Well, you know, I think playing the Chiefs in Kansas City is a lot like going to Fenway and playing Boston Red Sox, um, you just can't stop scoring. And that's kind of the summary of, of what happened on Sunday. 
Um, I thought the game plan was really good. Um, the first half execution was outstanding. Um, and then a couple things happened, like you said, in the second half where it just kind of got away from them. And, you know, we needed to score that fifth touchdown, didn't get it. Um, and that was pretty much the ball game. You know, the, any of those individual things that, that caused us to go off the rails in the second hand or in the second half could have, could have been overcome individually, but in total, you know, it was just a little bit too much to, to overcome. Yeah. So, so what do you think, Stephen? Uh, just some of your takeaways. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's encouraging. I mean, uh, you know, I, we, we said for months, uh, I've repeated it so many times, people are sick of hearing it, uh, process over results early in the year. Uh, I just wanted them to go out and show on the field <clears throat> what we all thought on paper, that they were an elite team that was capable of going toe-to-toe with another elite team. And uh, outside of maybe at Tampa Bay, they drew probably the toughest assignment in the league uh, week one. So yeah. you, you go in to play the two-time defending AFC champions in their yard uh, with a full house for the first time in two years. And, you know, I mean, they've, they've been in the Super Bowl two years in a row, not by luck, guys. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> they're the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes got a half a billion dollar contract they don't just hand those out because a guy is a decent quarterback he's he's from <laughs> another planet i mean they played really well you know and that i mean yes of course we would have liked to have finished it off and they should have i i think they know that we all know that that was not a game that they could have won that was a game that they should have won absolutely um now the fact that they lost it is obviously frustrating but the goal of this team is to win the Super Bowl. The goal of the 2021 Cleveland Browns is not to beat the Chiefs in week one. It's to win the Super Bowl. And I think the biggest takeaway that we all have from that should be, anyway, that they absolutely 100% can do it, barring some catastrophic injury to a key piece. You know, they, right. everything we thought yeah. on paper showed up on Sunday. I mean, even the third quarter, they ran three offensive plays. Um, uh, but even at that, in the fourth quarter, they went down, they scored, it was 22-20. We went, basically jammed it down their throat to make it 29-20. to Chiefs had no answer, absolutely no answer in the second half. The game plan was being executed to perfection. You throw in the first half to get a big lead, and then you hand the ball to 24 in the second half, and he puts up that uh, 11 yards of carry in the fourth quarter like he did last year, and he was doing it. He was ripping off huge chunks. The Chiefs had no clue how to stop him. They were up 29-20 little more than 10 minutes left across midfield driving to go up 16 on the two-time defending AFC champions. And then Nick Chubb does something that he just simply never does. He put it on the ground. It happens. It, mm -hmm. it sucks that it happened at that moment. You know, I mean, the guy's fumbled four times in his entire career, twice in a bad weather game two years ago in New England. He just doesn't put the ball on the ground. And so now you're up two. And then, of course, the Jamie Gillen situation happened, which is a complete fluke. Uh, and even at that, if he if Baker doesn't step on Dan Sorensen and right in the middle of his throwing motion when he's trying to chuck that ball out of bounds, I have zero doubt they were going to stick that ball in the end zone and win that game. None. I have no doubt they were chewing up yards. So 
Uh, from an offensive standpoint, I'm not sure what more we could have hoped for, obviously, outside of putting the ball on the ground multiple times. And from a defensive standpoint, a lot of people have been banging on the defense. Oh, wow, the defense was terrible. Joe Woods should be fired. All these guys. <laughs> uh, sh- show me who the, holds the cheap. They, they averaged, what, 36 and a half points a game last year? I, we, we handed them the ball on the plus side of the 50 twice in the fourth quarter and still only gave up 33 points. If it wasn't for those turnovers, the defense did enough to win and that was without Ronnie Harrison which is a it cannot be overstated how big his getting tossed out of the game was um so I mean you look at they were in Mahomes face all day the defensive line pressure was there people have asked I had one guy I'm not making this up I had one guy ask me did Miles even suit up where the hell was he are you kidding me (laughs) I mean they were in Mahomes face all day like i said before he's just that good i mean there's some guys that are just you can do everything right and they still beat you that's just that's what sports is sometimes the other guy makes a better play than you do but i will say this if they are pressuring opposing quarterbacks on 44 percent of their dropbacks which means they're in their face knocking them off the spot making them scramble almost half the time for the next 16 games they're going to win a lot of freaking football games because there's not a lot of Patrick Mahomes left and there's not a lot of guys that have Travis Kelsey and uh, um, Tyreek Hill to throw to left. I mean, we know those guys' names because they're the best of the best of the best. If they were just some guys, we wouldn't know their names. So if they do that exact game 16 more times, I would be shocked if they don't win 13 of them. They played well enough to win. They should have won. They didn't, which might actually motivate them a little more uh in internally um but uh, i think they learned a lot about themselves and uh hopefully knock on wood we get a rematch with that team uh in january maybe even in our own in our own backyard so i i think the fact that they they proved they could beat that team is is really all we could have hoped for with this many new pieces on defense especially in week one of the season yeah i'm with you it it sounds like both of you guys were pretty happy with the individual performances of the players in this game what did you what did you guys think of the coaching because there was there was a lot of talk after the playoff game that that uh that that Stefanski was clearly out coached by by Andy Reid what did you guys think of the coaching matchup in this game and I'll, I'll let you start with this one Stephen uh I thought it was fantastic I, I didn't think he was out coached last year I, I never understood that narrative um they did. I mean, the defense last year, if we remember, by the time we got to the Chiefs game, between regular injuries and guys being out with COVID and everything else, it was, I mean, they were two calls away from calling me to play safety. I mean, there was just nobody <laughs> left. I mean, well, they, Stefanski could have suited up, I guess, short of that. I don't know what else he I could mean, have done. seriously, I, it's. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, on offense, it's been talked about how much they needed to inject speed to the wide receiving core. The Chiefs, if you go back and watch that game, it's on YouTube. They had nine people within five yards of the line of scrimmage for like 90 percent of the snaps because we had nobody who could threaten the deep part of the field. Nobody could do it. This year, it opened up between Schwartz and DPJ and all these guys. And David Njoku got like three or four targets 30 yards down the field. We have guys that can threaten deep. Now, granted, they were without Honey Badger. They were without Willie Gay. They were without Frank Clark. We can't lose sight of that. But still, Mm. just the fact that we have so many more options and he can call a more wide open game. I mean, 
three out of three on fourth down, the creativity, the timing. I mean, on the last drive, you know, that ended in the interception, the play right before the interception, they got what, 27 yards on a screen pass because they knew the Chiefs were going to be selling out to try to, you know, create a negative play. I mean, I, I don't know what else could have been done. It was just two fluke occurrences that turned that game. And when you are elite, the margin of error to win in the NFL is, is razor thin regardless. I don't know, you know, people say, oh, the Jaguars are the worst team in the league. You better show up. You know, I, the worst team in the NFL still has 53 guys who are professional athletes. You know, you better show mm-hmm. up and play. And when you're playing against a team like the Chiefs, there is no margin for error. So, you know, the, the game swung on those two plays. That that would that and Ronnie Harrison getting tossed uh, were the what decided that football game. So, yeah, I thought it was totally fine. As far as Joe Woods, I think the Ronnie Harrison ejection drastically altered the game plan because I absolutely refuse to believe that all those coverage snaps uh, in the short areas that Anthony Walker and Mac Wilson ended up getting, a lot of those were going to go to Ronnie Harrison. Um, yeah. And with some help, I mean, I just refuse to believe that that wasn't the plan. You can't plan on a guy getting chucked in the fifth fifth play of the game. Um, so okay. I, I don't know what else he could have done. I mean, he didn't. He still didn't have Grant Delpit. Um, you got a rookie starting out there. Newsom played great, but he was still a rookie. You can't put too much on his plate uh, for the, his first season. So. You know, I, I, they, they did what they wanted to do. The only way you beat the Chiefs is you pressure Mahomes and try to get him to make a mistake. And he simply didn't make a mistake. So you just tip your cap. You lost by four on the road to one of the toughest teams in the league. So I, I'm i totally happy with it. I'm totally happy with uh, pretty much everything except the final outcome. Yeah, Jeff, what would you think of the coaching, uh, the comparison in this game? I'm just going to add to that that, um, you know, on offense we scored – four touchdowns, three drives of 75 yards, and one drive of 71 yards. Um, We ate up a ton of clock. The offense functioned fluidly, to my eye, um, for the first game of the year. Um, I think 90% of the time that wins in the NFL. And to Stephen's point, we just happened to be playing the best team in the NFL. Um, So it wasn't enough. but, I mean, offensively, this team is fine. Defensively, um, I think we're still trying to figure some things out. But I thought Joe Woods had the right game plan to try to slow down um, Kansas City. And, and you know, the, the whole, overall, the whole game plan was keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, which everybody knows you have to do, and try to keep things in front of you on defense. And, you know, what – the one time that we got away from that is when Tyreek Hill was one-on-one with, with JJ three and that freaky pass was completed for a touchdown and, and they yeah. scored on one, one play. So you, you see what can happen if you don't approach them that way. And I thought the game plan was sound. Um, you know, you, you can argue about specific things, but um, overall it was, it was the right game plan to beat the best team in the league which would have happened if it wasn't for three really weird occurrences. Yeah, I agree with you. And just just kind of looking at the the players on Kansas City, you know, I hate to say looking looking at Travis Kelsey's numbers, I, I think he I think he scored two touchdowns, correct? But mm-hmm. but but he he only had six receptions for like seventy five yards and 
you know, I, I'm not going to say he wasn't a factor, but to hold Kelsey to six catches for 75 yards is is not bad. Now, obviously, you don't want to give up two touchdowns, Tom. But but this game really, to me, came down to to Mahomes not making any mistakes mm-hmm. the entire game, and Tyreek Hill going off for 11 catches for for almost 200 yards. And, and touchdown, and, and I know that 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 long play was what fifty yards, I think, and, and you know all by itself. But still, uh, Tyreek Hill and Mahomes were really the difference in this game. It seemed like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the Browns found a way to slow Kelsey down at all, or if they just, or if the, the Chiefs just just had so much success with Tyreek Hill that they just didn't need to go to Travis Kelsey as much in this game. So, um, but anyway, uh, their guys came up and, and did what they had to do. But but the Browns' defense, um, like you guys are saying, um, they still they played a good game um, for you know for under the circumstances, as you know, with uh, um, you know, especially the you know the first half and then the second half, they just got they just got put in some tough situations. So. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think this is a game that uh, that the Browns will again look back on, just like the playoff game. But um, you know, I, I think this game will give them more confidence, um, knowing, like you guys have been saying, that they can compete with anybody. So, so I don't really have a problem with it either. I was hoping they'd win, but I knew it would be a tall task. So, speaking of uh, tasks that are not so tall, the Browns are going to be playing. <laughs> the Houston Texans this week in their home opener. And it, it's kind of interesting because you go from playing a team that's, you know, probably the best in the AFC to a team that's, you know, um, maybe, maybe not the worst, but second worst probably in the AFC. So, um, so Jeff, I'll let you start on this. What, what kind of, uh, what kind of attitude do you expect the Browns to enter this game with? You know, coming off this this loss to the Chiefs in a close game, but playing a team like Houston that, um, first of all, the Browns know half the guys on that team. Um, right. Because they, they're from Cleveland. Um, yep. Second of all, I mean, Houston's 1-0 because they played Jacksonville last week. But they're also a team that the Browns, you know, really shouldn't have any problem with. So how do, you, how do you expect the Browns to look at this game? Well, one of the things I really love about Kevin Stefanski is that he's not going to let them look past this game. Um, you know, you take care of the business at hand. And, you know, if they do that, which I fully expect them to do that, um, they should have their way with the Texans um, and really get, you know, healthy in the process in terms of, um, you know, how this team functions. So uh, I'm looking forward to the, the next couple of weeks of, you know, seeing the offense continue to, to operate smoothly and seeing the defense really start to show some personality. Um, I think we're going to see less of that, you know, vanilla, too deep, you know, zone coverage stuff. And, you know, we're going to start to see our defensive line take the game um, to the other team. Um, those are the things I'm going to be looking for um, as we play teams that really we we should be able to beat easily. Is you know, can we can we put together a solid game in all three phases? And 
hopefully that happens this week against Texas. So, uh, Stephen, what do you think? How do you, how do you think the Browns go into this game? What, what type of attitude? I think they're going to be all business, like they have been since the middle of last year. I mean, uh, if we all remember, 1-0 this week. That was the mantra last last year. We heard it. Mm-hmm. It leaked out of the locker room, and they bought it. <clears throat> and you could tell by the way they spoke, by the way they took uh, care of the ball, it took care of practice, by the way they handled their business, that they weren't just saying it. They actually bought into that. one, And then – that bled over into the off season. We saw all the hard work that they were doing. They were, there wasn't a lot of club, you know, uh, Instagram videos. There was, you know, hey, we're getting together again at Baker's place. We're getting together again in in Texas. We're getting together again here. We're working. They worked all off season, and we saw it come through in camp, and we saw it last week. I, I keep saying this. Um, the, again, they're up twenty nine to twenty. They're driving in the fourth quarter in the chief's yard and there was no uh whooping going on on the sideline there was no dancing there was no oh my god look what we're doing they expected that it was very business-like and after the game they said all the right things you saw them get back to practice this week they're saying all the right things they're working again in practice i think you know uh like jeff said i mean it's it's not again. You can't take anybody lightly. Um, and they have enough veterans. Uh, it, nobody knows what the Texans were doing all off season. But unlike the Jaguars, who were a lot of young guys, uh, their guys are all veterans. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. maybe they're maybe they're middling to lower third of the league veterans, but they've been around a while. They know how to play the game. If you make a mistake and don't handle your business, they're savvy enough to take advantage, and, and they can jump up and yeah. bite you. But I don't think. Uh, like Jeff said, that they're going to overlook. I, don't, I, I really don't think they think it's going to be quote unquote easy. Some fans think it's going to be easy and obviously Vegas does, but um, I don't think this team uh, is going to do that. So what I expect and what I hope to see is to finish it. Um, I, how many games last year did they have a three score lead? And then we ended up having to recover an onside kick in the last minute to ice it. Um, now, part of that obviously was, like we said before, the depleted defense because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, that's a yeah. that's a skill you have to learn. Closing the door early in the game, ending it, putting your foot on their throat in the middle of the third quarter and just saying, OK, yeah, there's 17 minutes left, but we're just running out the clock here. That is a skill you have to learn. And this is a kind of team, this next three-game stretch are the kind of teams that you can learn that against. So... What I expect is pretty much the same game plan. They're going to come out in the first half. Baker's going to throw the ball all over the yard. Um, of course, they'll give the ball to Nick. Of course, why wouldn't they? But if they throw to get the lead, and then they run to protect the lead. That's what they do. So I expect them to go out, be up multiple scores at halftime, and then what I want to see is them learn how to close that door. I want to see if they – let's say that – you know, let's just make up a score. Let's say they're up 28-7 to 7 midway through the third quarter. I don't want the final score to be 31-24. to 24. I want to see the final score be 35 to, to 13 or something like that. Finish it, you know, because that once you learn that skill, then you'll be able to do it to a team like the Chiefs if you play them against again in uh, in January or even the Steelers or the Ravens. You know, these are teams that we've traditionally had so much trouble closing out in the times that we have had a lead. And that's partly due to them. They're really good football teams and good franchises. So. But uh, that's what I expect. I expect the Browns to be sharp. I expect them to be on point. I expect the stadium to be out of control. Um, I, I, this will be 
I, I'm old enough like you guys are to remember the old place. And ever since First Energy Stadium, we've all heard, oh, it's not the same as the old place. It's not the same as the old place. And and it isn't. That old place had character. It was a dank dungeon. And, you know, from a, from a, from a facility standpoint, First Energy Stadium is light years better. But the crowd's never been all that loud and all that kind of stuff. But in in their defense, we've never really had a team to get loud about since they came back. Now we do. So let's see what happens. I think it's going to be deafening, uh, which is something that they're going to need. Because like I said, Terod Taylor, um, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he is smart enough, savvy enough, mobile enough, and good enough that if they don't come in and handle their business, he's good enough to win a football game. So um, what I want to see is them finish it. What I expect to see is that they will finish it. I think this is a double-digit victory. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you kind of got into my, my next question. Um, so let me kind of try to think of another way to phrase this. Um, <laughs> do you do you think that the Browns will use this, and assuming that your scenario plays out to where they to, to where they're up, uh, you know, double digits uh, halfway through the third quarter? Um, you know, they have a whatever 14, 19 point lead or whatever, um, you know, halfway through the third quarter. You think the Browns will use, would you be more likely to use this game as as uh, as a training ground for uh, the scenario you're talking about, learning how to close a game versus pulling some starters and saving them reps uh, with it being early in the season? Um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about this because, uh, you know, these guys didn't play a lot in the preseason. Um, I think most of the guys l- looked like they were, you know, up to game speed against the Chiefs. So I don't really think that's an issue. But do you think that um, the more games they can play in, uh, the better at this point? Or are you getting your starters out of there when you have a safe lead? Well, I guess it depends on how big of a lead, um, you know, yeah. if it's a 10 point lead, uh, you know, with 12 minutes left, it's the NFL, man. Like we just saw last week, one, mm-hmm. one freaky play. You put the, that, that ball is shaped weird and it bounces funny. It bounces the wrong way one time. Now you're in a dogfight. Now, you know, they're up 11 minutes left in the game and they're up 38 to six or something like that. Yeah. Get Baker out of there. Get, uh, you know, whoever out of there. That's the kind of thing. As far as the defensive rookies, though, I think that would be the time. Um, JOK only played 25 snaps. Uh, Greg Newsom played fantastic. Uh, but some of the other guys, uh, if they get up, you want to put JOK in and give him this kind of responsibility in a game where one rookie mistake doesn't cost you the game. And he's going to make mistakes. That's what, that's why they're called rookie mistakes. That's what rookies do. Okay. <laughs> they make mistakes. Um, but if you're up, you know, like I said, 31 to 10 with eight minutes left and he blows a coverage because he reads something wrong and you give up a 60 yard touchdown while well, you're still up 14 at that point. So right. I, that might be something that they decide to do um, with him. Although I will say this, the Texans offense, I've seen some people say, oh, they're ground and pound. They like to run the ball all the time. They ran the ball 40 times against the, the Jaguars or whatever. Well, yeah, but that was mostly in the second half when they were up 20 points. I mean, Mark Ingram ran the ball uh, 26 total times. 17 of those came in the second half. Okay, uh, Terod Taylor threw the ball 33 times. 22 of those came in the first half. So they 
Their offense is similarly styled and structured to what the Ravens do. They do a lot of shotgun RPO, uh, multiple look stuff that relies on a dual threat mobile quarterback. And that's what Terod is. He's not Lamar Jackson, obviously. Lamar Jackson is a freak of nature in that area. But we we know him in Cleveland. He's a nice guy. He's a decent quarterback. You know, And we saw last week, if you make a mistake, he he's been around the league a long time. He knows where the coverage is supposed to be. If you're not there, he'll throw the ball there. He's he's good enough to do that. So I think, especially for the younger guys, it might be a, and you hate to use this this word, but a dress rehearsal, a kind of warm-up act for those back-to-back Ravens games in a couple of months, just because it's so similarly structured that maybe you can learn your keys and what, what which part of defending this this style of offense do we need to work on and what what side which parts are we already good at and you know that kind of stuff so we might see the defensive starters especially since there's so many of them that are new this year get more reps in the second half even with a big lead um but as i always say uh this front office and this coaching staff have made very few missteps in the last you know 18 months 20 months however long they've been on the job Mm -hmm. um if uh, if Kevin Stefanski thought his starters needed reps in the preseason, they would have got reps in the preseason. It, it, he's not, you know, he doesn't have some rule about these things and they're just unbreakable because that's the rule. No, there's a reason for it. So if he thinks these guys need more reps, he'll leave them in there. If he's okay with it, then, you know, and they run out to a big lead, which would be, you know, fun for us as fans, then maybe he pulls them out. So uh, I, I think Kevin Stefanski and Joe Woods will do whatever they think is best for the ultimate goal of this team, which, again, is to win the Super Bowl. If they think they need more reps to accomplish that goal, they'll give them more reps. I would agree with you 100% there. Um, Jeff, what do you have to add to that? Well, just um, what Stephen was saying earlier about finishing. Um, there's there's this disturbing habit that the Browns have had for a while now of not being able to finish halves. Um, And we saw it again in Kansas City where, you know, the final drives ended with no points. So, you know, if we do get up out to a big lead, um, I'd like to see him run the two minute offense. You know, just (laughs) let's let's figure out how to put points on the board in a hurry, because that's going to be required later in the season and, and in the playoffs. And it's it's a weakness right now for this team that has carried over from last year. So maybe it's just a fluke that it happened against Kansas City. But, um, you know, flukes repeat themselves enough. It becomes a trend. And let's figure out how to get in the end zone or, or at least get some kind of points on the board uh, when the clock is working against us. Did you guys see the the Ravens Raiders game? I only saw the very end. The very end. Too. Did you see when? Uh, I guess it was. Um, I guess it was near the end of regulation when the when the Raiders got the ball and did two quick passes to set up that fifty-five yard field goal. They had almost no time left on the clock. Right. Um, I'm just watching. I'm like, and this is this is the Raiders, and this is Derek Carr who gets no respect around the league. <laughs> I'm, seriously, I mean, no, right. you know, 
and nobody thinks Derek Carr's any good. And I, you know, I don't think he's he's all that bad. You know, I'm not going to compare him to other quarterbacks right now, but they they did that in a matter of seconds and and set up and and kick this 55 yard field goal and end up going into overtime. And I mean that that game was wild. I wanted to go to bed like an hour before that game was over, and I couldn't. <laughs> I had to stay up and watch it. So it's kind of crazy. But, but yeah, you're right. That that's what you have to be able to do. Yeah, when when you need to. I mean, the the Browns have have way more overall talent than the Raiders do. The Browns should be able to do stuff like that when they need to. Right. I mean, and that and that's going against uh, the Ravens' defense too, guys, mm-hmm. which is seen as one of the top defenses in, in the league. So, anyways, um, you know that's that's uh, that that's what we that's what we want. Um, you know, is is to see that. So, um, yeah. yeah, that that took me totally off track, but I had but I had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so um, what I, what I was going to go back to is that uh, that Stephen was talking about um, about uh, uh, Tarad Taylor being, I, I guess, a, a, a poor man's Lamar Jackson. Okay, let's just put it that way. Um, I I think there there was talk uh, when uh, when JOK was drafted, and maybe I was the one doing the talking, but. Um, that JOK could be, you know, the guy to to spy Lamar, you know, and, and keep him from running in this. I'm sure I wasn't the person who thought of it because Andrew Barry probably thought of it first. But um, do you think there's a, a chance that JOK plays more in this game kind of for that purpose? Mm-hmm. Gets more snaps um, because of the fact that, that it kind of is, like you mentioned, a dress rehearsal for that Ravens game and a quarterback that's going to play a little bit like Lamar. Um, I, I think this has been one of the questions, you know, Joe, he only played 25 snaps. Why did he only play 25 snaps? Well, like I said before, if they thought he was ready for more snaps, they would have given him more snaps. So, uh, it was and against the, way, the chiefs too. And, well, that's know. the other thing too. You don't want to put a rookie out there against that offense and Andy Reed. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, um, so, uh, could he? Sure, of course. Especially, like I said, if they get out to a big lead, that's when you put him in there because you know he can't cost you a game. Go in there and learn, Rook. That That's how it works. But I think somebody asked me this question on our Twitch show the other night, and I'll give the same answer I gave there. You know, do you think that uh, the way they phrased it was the Mac Wilson struggles, you know, open the door for more JOK snaps or something along those lines? I'm paraphrasing there. Um, and I said, I think what opens the door for more JOK snaps is how JOK plays in practice. Uh, it's really that simple. Um, if, if Kevin thinks he, or if Kevin and Joe think he's ready, he'll be out there. If they don't think he's ready, he won't be out there. Now, as far as him, I said, this as far back as the draft, uh, as far as him being, you know, quote unquote, a Lamar stopper. First of all, that doesn't exist. We all, we all know that. He's one of those guys that you can't, you cannot stop him. You just have to try to contain him and put right. him in places that you think are advantageous to your defense because he's, he's just freakish with his. As long as his legs work, the Ravens' offense is dangerous. Their offensive line is in shambles right now. We have no idea who their running backs are at this point, but as long as eight is healthy, they're going to be dangerous, and you better pay attention. So. Um, 
getting him in, I, I, I honestly, I don't know if they're going to spy Lamar or not. I don't know if that's the way you stop him. The way you, the way you slow down Lamar is to play sound assignment football with seven defensive backs who are big enough to tackle and fast enough to keep him from turning the corner every time. It's not more linebackers. That's not what stops him. It's right. more defensive backs. It's been proven year after year in the playoffs. That's what beats him. Now, JOK runs like a like a defensive back, so he's in that mold. Now, could they use him to spy him in certain uh, packages? Of course. And in certain situations, sure. Might they do it the whole game? If they do, they're definitely smarter than me, so I trust them. So... Uh, but I think more than anything, and I said this during the draft cycle, where I, as it specifically relates to JOK and Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens offense, his coverage ability, he's almost like an extra corner out there. That That's how well he covers in the curl flat and the short and medium zones. So I would personally rather see him stick like glue to Mark Andrews. Because when Lamar breaks contain, when the pocket starts to break down and he starts to scramble, he doesn't immediately tuck it and run. It's a misconception. If you watch him, the first thing he does is look for his security blanket, and that's Mark Andrews. How many times have we seen, uh, you know, every tight end, but especially Mark Andrews, the, the pressure almost gets there. Lamar goes to his right, and then suddenly Mark Andrews is running literally by himself 17 yards down the field, and we all <laughs> yeah. yell at our television sets. I mean, it happens all the time. So Every, every game, yeah. I would much rather take away his security blanket um, with JOK than spy him. Now, you know, of course, if like I said, they're NFL coaches, and I'm not, so if they think it's smarter to go the other way, then, then I'm behind them 100%. Don't listen to me. I'm an idiot in a Hawaiian shirt drinking beer on my couch. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you guys do this better than me. So you do whatever you think. But to my eyes, that's a more realistic uh, usage as far as specifically going up against Lamar Jackson. Now, this week um, against the Texans, again, especially if they're out to a big, a big lead, it's get in there, get some reps, learn how to be an NFL uh, second-level defender, and we'll figure out what you do well, what you don't, and then we'll work on it in practice next week. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. JOK, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying about Lamar because I think uh, you're right. It's not one person normally doesn't catch him. It's, It's the overall team speed, which JOK adds to. So, so Jeff, do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I would just say one thing that JOK already does well to my eye is he, he can lay a lick on a tackle. Um, I, I saw him um, was probably on a couple of special teams plays, but um, very sound tackling. Um, that was a, a really good sign to, to see in the Kansas City game on defense. Um, very few missed tackles. and. Um, I think he's very sound in that department. So, yeah, however they choose to, to use him is great. Um, I'm not going to, you know, weigh in on, you know, spying Lamar. I really don't know how that would even work, but um, I'm pretty excited about how the kid plays. Yeah, definitely. So um, let, let's, uh, before we move on to a couple other things and, and, and that, let's, uh, Let's talk about this. Uh, the line in this game was uh, somewhere around the Browns uh, being a 12 and a half point favorite um, over under 47 and a half. And for whatever reason, even though we're not gamblers, we like to we like to give predictions on this show that that we never go back to and talk about again. So um, <laughs> just for fun, 
Um, we're giving we're giving Jeff the W for last week without going back and really looking at those scores, but he was really close in, in that uh, in that pick. Um, I think he was he pretty much predicted a Kansas City four point one. So so uh, so yeah. Well, I, I predicted that the, the the kicker would cost us the game, but I was wrong on which kicker. Which kicker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so uh, let, let's um, let's throw out some score predictions, and I always get to go last, guys, because I don't have anything in mind yet. So, so Jeff, you want to go first as to uh, score for this Houston uh, Cleveland Browns game? Yeah, I, I I am real confident that this is going to be a laugher. Um, I think the Browns are are smarting a bit after the loss in Kansas City, and they're going to take out their frustrations on the Texans. Um, so I, I, I'm predicting that we're going to get that fifth touchdown this week, um, in addition to a couple of field goals, um, and we're we're going to come close to covering the over by ourselves. I think I think we're going to score 41 points, and Houston is probably going to get a couple touchdowns and a couple of field goals and score around 20. So um, shout out to Jeremy. I'm going to go with the over once again. Okay. All right. So, uh, Stephen, what would you what uh, what type of score would you like to throw out for us? Um. Well, you know, I I should preface this by saying my predictions, uh, score predictions in the NFL have been right historically uh, just north of 4% of the time. So you're up against some pretty stiff competition. Here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm thinking somewhere, you know, and I don't know the weather. I should have checked the weather before we went on. If it rains and muddier or whatever, then that could affect things. And we, we, we got to find out about Chris Hubbard. Although from what I'm hearing inside the building, it's trending that he's going to be okay. Um, uh, if, if James Hudson has to start that might, or Blake Hance, uh, moves out to tackle like he did last year in the playoff game against chiefs, that might change things a little bit. Uh, but I think 40 points is roughly, uh, yeah, I'll say 41 to 16. Nice. And then by the way, it's going to be 80 and sunny here. Oh, perfect. Then. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to go higher than 41 or (laughs) just, um, yeah, since Jeff took forty-one, I'll go forty-three. How about that? You know, yeah, yeah forty-three. Yeah, I'll be I'll be like that guy on The Price Is Right, where you know you bid four hundred and he bids four hundred and one, and you can just tell right. it's your television set that they just want to strangle that guy. You know, so I, I'm glad I'm glad you changed yours a little bit because I wrote my score down just before Jeff said his, and I wrote down forty-one to thirteen. So, so we also were thinking forty-one. So that's oh. got to happen, and. And I, you know, I put score predictions out for all three games in the AFC North last week, and um, I was 0 for 4. So uh, 4% is looking pretty good, Stephen. <laughs> the winning streak, baby. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking to get something going here. So, um, so yeah, you you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, the offensive line, and and uh, the Browns have. Uh, Browns have a number of guys there that, that are questionable right now with uh, Wills, Treader, Conklin, Hubbard. So um, you probably you know more about this than we do. So you think Hubbard is looking like he could possibly play? Um, anything you want to share on the other guys, or or what are you, what are your thoughts there? I'm well, not looking Jason, for you to reveal any secrets or anything. 
Yeah, J.C. Treader is, you know... Uh, he always plays. I He's mean, kind of two play. years ago, he had a high ankle sprain, like the second week of the season, and he didn't practice the entire year, never missed a game, and played at an all-pro level. I mean, uh, somebody told me you'd have to shoot J.C. Treader to keep him out of the lineup, and I said, no, you'd have to shoot him twice, okay? There's just... <laughs> if, if he can walk... He's going to be out there. I'm not, I, I, it's, I mean, I'm not in that building. Fred Greetham is the, the guy from the OBR that's in the building. But uh-huh. uh, that being said, he is, if we all remember, Joe Thomas got the uh, quote unquote veterans day off towards the end of his career where basically they trusted him. And I think JC's are in that same right. Hey coach, I need to practice twice this week. I only need to practice once. I need to practice four times. Whatever he says, Kevin goes, okay, that sounds good. Cause he knows he can count on him. Um, uh, who else was on the, uh, besides Hubbard, there was one other guy. Oh, Conklin was back at practice today. I think honestly, no, that was, was. Okay. I think that was just, again, more of rest, you know, um, I don't think it was anything serious. Yeah. Um, he was back at practice today. Hubbard is the question mark. Cause he didn't practice again today. Uh, for, as I understand it, he was on the bikes today, but. Did, uh, did Jed Wills practice or what was his no. status today? Uh, I would be surprised if Jed plays this week. Okay. Um, he might. But per, that's just a personal opinion. That's not. So we think Hubbard. So we think Hubbard's going to play for. I for think Jeff it Wells. sounds like it's trending that way. Um, probably, we'll yes. find out Friday for sure. I mean, if he practices full go Friday or at least half go Friday, then I would be shocked if he's not in there. Um, now, if he doesn't go uh, at tackle, the options are um, well, the rookie James Hudson. Um, uh, like I said, Blake Hans played left tackle, uh, after Jed went down in the playoff game last year and did an admirable job actually, although he's not a tackle yeah. really by trade. Uh, and then, uh, Jordan Steckler, who's on the practice squad right now from, uh, Northern Illinois, big dude. Um, they very well, I, if there's any question about Hubbard, I would, I would expect them to use, uh, Steckler as one of the two practice squad guys you can call up on Saturday for the 55. Uh-huh. And then see how it goes in the morning um, with uh, with Chris Hubbard on Sunday. Uh, it sounds like he's going to play, um, but yeah, overall. And the thing about it is, and you hate to say this because, like I said, they're all NFL players. They're all world class. The worst player in the NFL, whoever that is, is still a world class athlete. Okay, these guys are yeah. elite human beings on the planet. That's who they are. So you never want to say. Oh, you know, that guy doesn't scare me. But it's not like this is the Texans of five years ago with Watt on one side and Clowney on the other. I mean, Whitney Merciless is a decent, you know, uh, edge edge rusher. Um, and uh, Charles Omenahu, who I really like during his draft cycle, is on the other side. But you look at their depth chart is Merciless and Jenkins on one side, Omenahu, Jacob Martin, and Jonathan Greenard on the other side. Uh, Demarcus Walker is one of their defensive tackles, Malik Collins. Uh, they just signed Jaleel Jackson off a practice squad because former Brown Vincent Taylor went on IR. Vincent Taylor was starting uh, for them. So whoever they have starting this week, they thought was not as good as Vincent Taylor. So, uh, you know, it's not a group that instills a ton of fear. So even if it is Hudson or Hans or even Steckler that's out there, they should still be able to handle this team if they show up and handle their business. Um, obviously, you never know, but there's nobody on that defense that strikes a, a lot of fear. You know, there's no if you're an offense and you're playing the Browns before this year. Now it's different. But before this year, you had to know where where Miles Garrett was on every play. You have to game plan around a guy like that. There's nobody on the Texans defense that you have to know where they are 
on every single play. They're, they're decent players, but they're not guys that strike fear. So even if it's, you know, uh, some, if the worst happens at left tackle, the other four guys are so good and they'll offer a tight end help to that side and, and running back chip help and all that kind of stuff. I think they'll still be fine, honestly. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, OBJ's out again. Uh, Malik McDowell um, has moved up to the to be the second starter defensive tackle. I think um, I think a lot of us are happy about that. Uh, just with his ability, I think he's going to continue to grow <laughs> definitely. With uh, you know just from getting back and playing more football, um, and, and I don't think a lot of us felt real comfortable with Andrew Billings being a starter there. So, um, and then uh, the Browns have uh, Reuben Foster visiting tomorrow for a, a workout slash visit. He's 27, and he last played in 2018. So, um, so he's probably not going to start on Sunday. But um, <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what do you guys think about Reuben Foster? I know he hasn't played in forever, and that. Um, I mean, the Browns, uh, the Browns have have uh, some room at linebacker. I think so. Um, if they like what they see, you think something could happen there? I mean, obviously they're having him in, so they're they're open to something happening. Uh, well, kind of a, well kind of a from silly what thought, I understand, but. tomorrow is more of a get to know you kind of thing rather than a full workout. Now that could change. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, especially a guy with his uh, off field and all that kind of stuff, it feels like kind of a let's see where this guy's head is at. More uh, of a visit than a workout. That's that's how yeah. I understand it. I could be totally wrong, but I'm not going to get into the off field stuff. I mean, uh, I mean, it, there was a lot of it, too. Uh, the yeah. weed thing in Alabama, I don't care about. The fact that they still test for weed is just beyond me. Uh, I don't understand that. But. Um, the, uh, the multiple DV, uh, even though the girl recanted her story in the first one, the charges were dropped for insufficient evidence the second time. You don't like to see that. For me, it's more, they got to find out where his head is at and they got to see where his health is at. Nobody wants to talk about this. This guy has had a ton of injuries. He has, uh, in, uh, in college, he had, uh, rotator cuff surgery. He suffered a concussion. He suffered a second concussion in his rookie year, uh, preseason. Um, he had in 2019, he tore his ACL, his MCL and suffered nerve damage in his foot. Um, so, you know, he, he thought of, he thought his career was over. He thought, he thought he was thinking about retiring. He was thought all this stuff. So if you can get, the prospect on the field at Alabama, who was, you know, day one, day two talent, definitely top 50, top 100 talent, top 75 ish. Uh, he ended up going on day one, uh, whether he deserved it or not is a different story. Um, if you can get that and his head is right and his health is right. What the guy put on tape is undeniable. I mean, he was fast, strong, instinctive, smart, slippery, change of direction. He did everything you could possibly want. But, man, that's a lot of questions. That is a lot of questions to answer. And the way that this locker room is structured now with everyone holding themselves and each other to a championship level of not only play, but preparation in every single aspect, introducing a uh, a new element that you're unsure of 
can be a landmine. Now, I don't know this young man. I've never spoken to him. I've never been in the same room with him. If he has his head back on straight, the way Malik McDowell has, then by all means, I am a full second chance guy. Give it to him. Go for it. I absolutely 100% believe in that kind of stuff. But whew, that is a lot of questions uh, that need to be answered in the affirmative. And uh, to be perfectly honest, with Anthony Walker, JOK, uh, Tony Fields, who we've barely seen because of injuries, and Jacob Phillips, who everybody seems to be forgetting about, they have a lot of young second-level talent uh, on that defense that they're very high on. Um, so yeah. I, I, I I don't know. I mean, you know, if he's that guy, then obviously you would rather you would love to have a guy like that on your team. But is he that guy? That's a long way. That's a winding road to get to. Uh, especially in, in the, let's let's not forget this isn't the 2017 Browns that are just trying to be respectable every Sunday. They want to stand when the confetti drops and hold up that trophy in Los Angeles in February. So there's not a lot of room for error, uh, disruption in the locker room, or however you want to phrase it. And I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying it's a chance you take in this kind of situation. Um, so there's a lot of questions that have to be answered, uh, all all of them in the affirmative for him to uh, to earn a contract here. Well, I, I think they're always looking to improve the team. So you know, I think a lot of it's going to be on him. So, um, Jeff, do you, do you have anything? Uh, I mean, wh- what are your thoughts? Are you, are you open to a guy like this? You think it's a bad idea? You know, you can you can turn over every rock. Uh, and I think that's what Andrew Berry's trying to do um, to, to make the team better. And I think that's a great thing. But um, you can only have so many reclamation projects. Um and honestly, that, that's kind of where I see him. Um, if if it turns out, like Steven said, that, that he's that guy from Alabama, um, terrific. But, man, he would, he would be stepping in front of a lot of guys that I think need to play. And, you know, we're only playing one or two linebackers. Right. So, you know, really You got to figure it take him a while to, before he could even play at this point, too. Right. Right. Realistically, how big a contribution can he make? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. I think uh, I, we should know. Well, I don't know if we'll know anything after tomorrow, honestly. You know, these visits, you, yeah. know, you know, Stephen might hear something, but, um, you know, the rest of us might be might be, a, might be a visit and there might be talks and, you know, and it might be a while before anything else happens. So. Well, he's also visiting the Jets and a few other teams. So, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that his decision is whether or not he's coming here. Yeah. And that's something yeah. to keep in mind. It's the Jets and um, I'm blanking on who the other team. So rumor is these are all, you know, just rumors. Uh, he's visited yeah. two other teams and he may look at it and say, even if Andrew Berry really likes him, he, Reuben Foster, the player, may say, you know what? I can go to the Jets and play, uh, you know, because right. everybody wants yeah. to play. You know, I mean, yeah, it's great to win yeah. a championship, but if you're standing on the sidelines and inactive 14 games, uh, you know, guys want to be out there. So he may say, yeah. you know, the Jets are not nearly the same winning type of situation, but I can go there and, and play 70% of the snaps. So, you know, I, it, it's interesting. I think for me personally, the fact that they're even doing this uh, says makes it, it sends my antenna up. What's going on with the current group? Is is has Mac Wilson finally used his last chance? You know, is um, mm-hmm. is uh, have they heard that Elijah Lee is going to get claimed off the practice squad by somebody? And so they're 
you know, they're, they're trying to bring him down to the practice squad. I, I don't know any of these. These are the questions that popped in my mind when, when a move like this that everybody, everybody goes, really? So when there's something that seems weird, my instinct is always to go digging and to try and figure out wh- why it's not weird. Because, you know, I, I, don't think any, I don't think anybody would accuse Andrew Barry of being a guy that does stuff off the cuff. I mean, he's <laughs> this guy. This <laughs> guy researches every possibility. I would love to be in their draft room. That has to be absolutely fascinating because he's got to have 75 different scenarios on the board ready to go. And then he crosses them off as each guy gets picked, you know. So uh, whatever they're doing, it didn't just come up in the in Berea yesterday. They've been talking about this for a while. So I'm very curious to see what happens with oh, it. Yeah. Yeah, well, well uh, I think, I guess uh, since he's visiting other teams, we probably will know something before too long and see what happens. So, um, Stephen, just real quick, I wanted to, to plug your uh, to plug your article and your first mock draft. Did this just come out? I'm trying to think. Was it, uh, it was yesterday, wasn't it? Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, Wednesday. So, um, Jeff, did you have a chance to look at this yet or not? I did. Um, I'll be honest. I'm I'm not real deep into the 2022 class yet, but I like the positions that he's going after. Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring you in because just the discussions we've had. I think it, I think the uh, um, obviously Stephen is like the draft guy, you know. So um, um, that's a nice I'm way of surprised. saying I have absolutely no life. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean Jeff has been talking about you know about uh, going edge, you know, first round, you know, pretty much since the last since the last draft ended, you know, and and um, it, it's an excellent article, and you you know you do a great job of explaining you know why you're going for each of the picks and talking about the guys. So um, and this was uh, this on Origin Brown, I'm trying to think. Yeah, obr.com. Yeah. Yeah, OBR.com, Cleveland Browns, the weekly mock draft returns as the Texans come to town. So everybody check it out. Um, we won't go into a ton of detail because, like you said, this is your this was your first run at it. <laughs> You're not going to bat for all these guys. It, right. It, it's an excellent it's an excellent look at what, you know, just for, for people to look at to say, hey, what could possibly happen for the Browns in the next draft? You know, what kind of players could they get? And, you know, I think it's a, an excellent re- representation of, you know, what they could be thinking about right now. So everybody should be definitely checking that out. And you, are, are you, um, you going to try to be doing these? Uh, how often now are you going to do these? Because you used to put them out on Twitter like every day, but you have other stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the daily mock draft is uh, into year five, uh, or is it year six? No, it's going to be year six this year. Wow, I can't even believe that. Um, uh, but that it, that has changed because of uh, going to the OBR and uh, having all these other uh, articles that I write and the Twitch show and all that kind of stuff. So during the season, it's now the weekly mock draft every Wednesday because that's the middle point. Everybody's pretty much talked the last game to death. Nobody's really ready to start looking at the next game. So it's a good time to to take a peek. And like you, like you said, this early, it's not about locking into positions or this guy definitely or like it's about 
you know, let's take a look. What could they might need an edge depending on there's questions, you know, will Clowney earn another contract? Will Zach McKinley earn another contract? We don't know what's going to happen at the depth edge with the defensive line. We don't know uh, the wide receiver room. We have those two huge contracts. At least one of them will be gone next year. Will, you know, will they go wide receiver? There's a whole bunch of different ways it could play out uh, this year. And we don't know how these these prospects are good. It's September. Uh, you know, they, they got a whole season to play. Then they have a whole off season. The draft industry has turned into a billion dollar industry on itself that almost functions independently of the NFL, which is just bizarre to say. All right. Um, so, but we, at this point, it's about familiarizing yourselves with guys to watch, you know, there there's, let's watch this guy and see how he progresses. Like the first round pick uh, this week, um, uh, George Karlaftis, the edge, uh, rusher out of Purdue. Dude is huge. He's 6'5", 275. He turns a corner. He's got a bull rush. He's got an advanced array of pass rush moves. He knows how to use his hands. His motor never quits. I mean, he's young. He fits the age guardrail. Everything that you could want in a prospect. And he's being projected by draft people way smarter than me as a day one, potentially top half of day one guy at this point. The, the reason we don't lock into things this early is because I will remind everyone that last year at this time, early September last year, Marvin Wilson was projected as a top half of round one guy. And he ended up being <laughs> drafted and we know what happened. So right. yeah. a lot of ball game between yeah. now and, and April. But at this point. You want to keep your eye on George Karlaftis and Jordan Davis out of Georgia. And, you know, my third round pick is Dante Demas uh, out of Maryland, who's a big, strong, fast, super, just a super wide receiver that a lot of people haven't heard of yet, partially because Maryland's not exactly a, you know, a prospect factory. Uh, I mean, these are the positions you want to look at edge. You want to look at defensive lines so that when I have a lot of people tell me, um, uh, you know, in February, oh my God, I'm trying to start my draft prep and there's, you know, 572 guys on the big board over at the draft network. How do you sift through them all? Well, you start in September so that by the time yeah. February rolls around those 572 guys, you've already eliminated, you know, 385 of them. So really you start with 195, you know, and, and then you break those guys down into day one, day two, day three, and then you look, you eliminate the positions. You know, like we're not going to be looking, barring something weird, we're not going to be looking at quarterbacks. I don't waste my time looking at this quarterback class. I don't care. And and yeah. you know, I can't tell you guys how liberating that is after the last twenty years <laughs> to not have to go on a microscopic level of the uh, the every quarterback class every single year. So when you look at these guys at this early, it's really more about, it's kind of like stretching before, before everything starts, just yeah. get loose, keep an eye on a guy. If you're flipping through channels and you say, uh, you know, you see Maryland is on the big 10 network and you go, Oh God. Yeah. I remember that. I want to watch this. You know, I'm going to watch for 10 minutes because I want to see how this wide receiver does or something like that. And then, Guys will interest you and other guys won't. And, you know, you cross them off your list or you dig deeper, depending on which way it goes. So while the season, what we decided last year was because long ago, the uh, when it first started, the Daily Mock Draft started two weeks after the draft. I did 340 something the first year. And that was insane. Like I was <laughs> by the end of it, I was like, I would rather jump off a cliff than do the do one more mock draft simulator right now. So. I switched it and it got a little shorter and then it got a little shorter. And last year we decided I'm not going to start the daily until after the Brown season ends. Um, so it'll be weekly, hopefully right up until Valentine's Day, knock on wood. 
And then it will be daily after that. And by that time, we'll have a much better idea of what their needs are. Uh, it'll be close to free agency, so they can fill a few holes that way, which can alter the draft strategy, all that kind of stuff. So, But every Wednesday through the season on the OBR.com, there will be a full seven-round mock draft. And I try to write 250 to 300 words on each guy um, to give people, and I, I post some clips, some YouTube videos, uh, you know, some just I, I link some tweets from uh, Dane Brugler and and some of the really top of the top level draft guys and all that kind of stuff. But that's every Wednesday on the OBR.com, the weekly mock draft. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Jeff, do you have any closing words for us? Sure. I, I just want to say that um, you know we've all prognosticated a, a blowout for Sunday. And, you know, I don't want anybody to be disappointed if that doesn't happen. The important thing is we get the W. There's no style points in the NFL. Right. So if this ends up being a closer game than, than what we're all suggesting, um, that's fine with me just as long as we win. Absolutely. <laughs> w is a W. So, uh, Stephen, we appreciate you coming out talking with us. I appreciate your insights and your uh and uh, how should I say this? Your your uh, comedic relief as well. What uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what uh, what uh, wisdom or uh, or anything else uh, would you like to leave us with in closing? Um, well, I don't know if I have any wisdom, um, but uh, you can say something funny. I mean, I mean, I could pass along some fart jokes. I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> Those always uh, work. Just, to everybody else, uh, to every here's what I say. Yes, we're passionate. The Browns fan base is, is incredibly passionate, and I don't think there's a team in the NFL that means more to its community uh, than the Browns do to Cleveland. But when it all shakes out, try to keep it in perspective. It's not that important for us. It's important for the guys on the team because it's their livelihood, but for us – yeah, it, you know, they win or lose, you know, it, it can change your mood and everything. But, man, there's some people that just they get in screaming fights and they, they spend hours on social media, like shouting the vulgarities at strange. It's not that big of a deal, guys. It's OK. The sun will rise. I promise you it's going to be OK. So root like hell. Try to be as informed as you can. Have fun. That's the most important thing. And when it's over, you know, what I've decided to do, what I decided this a long time ago, I give myself, you know, 30 to 60 minutes to be mad if they lose. Uh, you know, get it out of your seat. Don't avoid it. Don't bottle it up. You got to feel it and then get through it. So be mad, be angry, argue, call into talk radio, you know, ask for people to be fired. You know, I, <laughs> do whatever you got to do. <laughs> but then that's it, man. Go be with your family and, you know, go be with your friends and, and have a beer, eat a gummy, you know, chill, dude. It, it's OK. <laughs> you know, just let's have fun. This is going to be the most fun Brown season we have had since the return if they play anything like we all think they're going to for the next 16 games. So don't overlook the fun by arguing and being mad about the minute details. You want to find something to be mad about, you can. That, that's life. But, man, if they're winning 13 games this year and you're still mad, that's on you. That's not on them. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, that's Stephen Thomas. Follow him at Browns Mock Draft. Uh, find his stuff at the OBR and other places. 
This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.